Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode three, second of his name. Aaron, how'd you feel after the second of your watches? I liked it. Um, the thing, the only, the only thing I, that still kind of bugs me on multiple watches is I do think the action scene at the end is a little bit goofy and some of the stuff I just didn't understand the tactics and strategy in the Stepstones uh, whole department. But like, you got to understand that they were really that they, they had, a, they had a pretty broad and blank canvas to paint the Stepstones war on uh, in the book. It literally, it, it's a, this is a one paragraph, another one in one paragraph deals in the books. It literally yada yada, as it says, it's not our purpose here to recount the details of the private war. Damon Targaryen and Corlys Valerian waged on the Stepstones. Suffice it to say, the fighting began in 106 AC. Prince Damon had little difficulty assembling an army of landless adventurers and second sons and won many victories during the first two years of the conflict. Yet in 108 AC, when at last he came face to face with Kragus Crabfeeder, he slew him single handed and cut off his head with Dark Sister. Period. In the story. Um, Kragus. Does, does, yeah. He calls him Drehar in the episode? That's his first name. First, okay, okay. Gotcha. Or maybe it's last name, whichever one. Yeah, He's got it's crazy. It's it's one. Yeah. So like they had a lot of room to kind of like play around with this. And like I mentioned in, I, I looked this up to make sure I wasn't crazy. Uh, it's in the canon to Sir Barristan Selmy, uh, Barristan the Bold, when he was like twenty three years old, single handedly assaulted a castle. Uh, it was an undercover of night and used a disguise to breach it, but he went in and rescued King Eris from their dungeons and fought his way in and out, broke mm. into the fucking barn, stole horses and rode out on horseback. Like sometimes shit like this can happen. And I think you're supposed to understand that this was Damon waging or wagering at all. Like he would literally explicitly in the episode rather die yeah. than ask his brother for help or and suffer the fate of a second son. So, like, I guess I was OK with it for me. I wish he was wearing plate armor and a helmet and maybe had a shield to to. to <laughs> but like he is. One of the best swordsmen of his time. He does have a excellent blade, Valerian steel blade, dark sister, a very fabled blade. Uh, yeah. So I, I and, and, and again, I'm a little open to Arnold Schwarzenegger commando type of shenanigans. Uh, but everything else, all the Down Abbey of it, uh, the, <laughs> the feasting and the fetting and the hunting, that shit is awesome. And I thought it's great. Um, I really appreciated some of the stuff they're doing uh, with with symbolism and character and theme. What about you? 
how did the episode seem after another set of watches with your eyes? Uh, yeah, I thought it was better on second watch. I, I felt like I understood more what they were going for. Um, all the intricacies of, you know, this this party, this uh, birthday party, name day party, um, which, you know, combination royal hunt. I don't I don't know exactly how that all goes, but I felt like I understood the, the tension here between duty um, and desire and everything that they're going for. And I think it's a lot better second time around. I will confess that I actually fast forwarded through the battle at the end <laughs> because it was getting late when I was watching it uh second time through. And I'm like, <laughs> I, this is all just action. Like none of this actually matters. Uh, the stuff that okay. I'm interested to talk about is not going to be in this part. So I fast forwarded through most of it, got to the, the metal as fuck shot at the end with Damon walking out of the cave, uh, dragging a half half uh, crab feeder, and I was like, "Yeah, that's what I. That's all I really wanted out of this battle." Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't feel like it's a episode killer. I think everything else around it is great, but yeah, I was less interested in watching that again. And if you are, you know, kind of like into that stuff, like I think they did a lot in terms of choreography to share this kind of like, you know, relentless momentum that he had. Like there's he kind of started things off with uh, this kind of somersaulting tackle down a sand dune and then he hit the ground and he's just sprinting. And I, I guess that's where you don't wear armor and you don't have a shield to encumber you. Um, I thought that there was a variety of ways that he was running and killing. It reminded me a little bit of Daniel Day-Lewis and some of the final moments of Last hmm. of Mohicans where he's just like, mm-hmm. you cannot fucking stop this man. Uh, he is on a mission. So I appreciated that. And I think also the, you know, the the, the dragon effects, again, some of the close-up stuff work. I, I, I think, I kind of think that uh, Lanor's a little funny looking. There's something about that, like that scoop hair with the silver hair hmm. that kind of makes him look a little like, uh, y- you know, like a prematurely gray Ronald McDonald type of thing. <laughs> okay, sure. So because I was looking, it's like, hmm. why, why isn't this? And I'm like, well, I just don't think he looks cool on this dragon. Uh, I don't think anybody look looks dad. cool on a dragon. Actually, I think they they have a really hard time with the visuals mm. when you do a close yeah, up might- in the sky. A real hard time. Right. That might because like at best you're going to see a person that looks like they're riding a horse, except for they're like, you know, their face is glowing from fire, you know, mm-hmm. and that's um, but it's 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 always like, you know, like if you it, OK, yeah, if you try to fake a person riding a horse with green screen and whatnot, it would look kind of lame. Most of the time you're actually watching a real ass person galloping you know, hell for leather on a, a a beast going 30, 40 miles. That's inherently exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're right. There's something that just doesn't translate. I, I, I hope that's not true because there's a lot of dra- exciting dragon stuff. And I think when you're seeing this from a remove, like the, the yes. dragons is dive bombing and shooting fire. I know people shit talk to fire that uh, they, they were breathing. Cyrax is breathing to incinerate uh, Ama and, and uh, Balin Targaryen. But man, the fire effects they did in this episode were cool and percussive. And we had a medieval blown to safety uh, with, with <laughs> Damon uh-huh. getting getting blown by by uh, sea smoke to safety. I, I thought that mm-hmm. stuff looked looked really cool. The carnage like I was watching the the making the behind the scenes and they had this sweet idea 
where they made some of the axe heads and maces oversized and out of like this brittle wax and filled it with fake blood. So when you got guys, you know, clanking a person across the face with a mace, it just looks like their face is exploding. And then out of frame, they've got production assistants with cupfuls of sand and cupfuls of blood, just like laying on the ground. And when the guys clash, they just throw those cups in the air. So it looks like just gouts of blood and like spurts of (laughs) it. And it, you know, this is a pretty again, this is a paragraph in the overall narrative of fire and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they really went for broke on it. So I think this to the extent there's going to be a lot of combat in uh, this this the civil war between uh, in House Targaryen. Uh, boy, you can't help but be excited. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe you're, you're the, the tactics and strategy. But boy, if they they, they can tell an exciting battle. Absolutely. I mean, everything looks great except for the close-ups. I, I do wish they would just do these dragon fights, like you said, from a remove. Because when they when they show the dragons from a distance, they look incredible. It's really only in those close-ups where they're trying to get the reactions of humans riding dragons yeah. or you know Targaryens, yeah. whatever they are. Uh, that, yeah. That's when it it breaks down for me. But everything else looks awesome. Uh, the visuals is not what I have a problem with, with in this battle. It's more. It, the the pacing of it and um, just like does all of this make sense? And the answer is probably no. But ultimately, who cares? Uh, it's about the outcome. And it's yeah, about you're telling it's the story about, about he's doing it. Damon's desperation to you know get a, a a type of social currency that he can spend to get into power. You know that's sure. what he's. Um, it's 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 about getting his brother's attention. It's about being. It's about pride. You know. Yeah, about the inferiority complex, I think, that necessarily comes when you're a second son or worse in this society. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think it's another really solid episode that, you know, battles aside, it delivered a lot of just great character um, uh, moments and just the way I feel like you are going to think back in episodes to come and seasons to come at conversations this episode and go like, Ooh, wish that person had been a little bit more diplomatic there. Oh, I wish that person had taken this person a little bit more seriously because you are seeing, you know, the fault lines are going to eventually tear this realm in, in, in twain. Hmm. So I think they're doing like, as a person who's right ahead, I think they're doing a great job at setting all this stuff up. And I'm so glad, so glad they're taking their time. So glad that we like, I, I was worried that we were going to transition into the older period. No, not yet. Doesn't look like we're going to do it. Uh, maybe even next episode either. I'm so glad they're taking time to really dwell on how things were before the, the true crisis point so that it's going to make so much more sense. And people are going to have like rooting interests, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate the scenes where we get some insight into character motivations like uh, mm-hmm. that scene with Viserys by the fire confessing to Alicent uh, or, yeah. or telling Alicent about the dream he's had and how he was always a dreamer and he lost that somewhere along the way um, and feels like that could have been a mistake. I I think that's a great scene. I think the scenes with Rhaenyra and him are excellent. The scenes with Rhaenyra and Kristen are excellent. Uh all that stuff. Man, I, I just really appreciate the characterization they're doing here. Battle scenes aside. Mm-hmm. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. On the latest episode of Off the Clock, we're catching up on Constellation. Aaron has some Avatar, the last Airbender to talk about. And perhaps I'll give a belated review of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. You can find that in your premium feeds this Wednesday. 
And don't you forget about lunch. Because our weekly Q&A session starts at 1 p.m. this Friday on Patreon. If you can't catch the show live, you can listen to the podcast later that evening. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. All right, why don't we start with the recap? Yeah. The first scene here is a crab feeder feeding a man to the crabs, like you do, uh, as they loot the ships they've destroyed. Then Damon rides in on his dragon, drives crab feeder into hiding in the caves, but takes an arrow to the shoulder and flees. Uh, When is the scene actually taking place? Is this three years before everything else in the episode, or is this closer to the second name day of Aegon? I think this is like if you read the, that paragraph I mentioned that he, there's a there's a two year period where he's having a lot of rapid successes and it looks like he's winning um, and then it kind of bogs that I, I feel like you're this is you're supposed to understand this is where the crab eater has been pushed back and there's enough stronghold on this bloodstone island that they can they can uh they can hide in the caves and be protected. This is the, you know, this is a strategy that Dorne has been using for a hundred years to successfully evade the Targaryens. Like sure. Targaryens try to fuck up their shit. They come out of the mountains and, you know, got a bunch of them. They bring the dragons. They melt back into the mountains. Uh, see also Afghanistan versus every major world power in the mm-hmm. 20th century and 21st century. Like it's a winning strategy, putting a whole bunch of hard rock and bones of the earth between you and the enemy. Yeah. Um, I, I think it doesn't make as much sense in them continuing to be a threat and projecting power like they are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, and it's just the, I, I thought this is just amazing. This, you, you start off seeing the striking Valerian and, you know, house sigil, the seahorse, uh, on, on fire and this, this galley, some kind of either merchant or war galley, just burning down to the waterline. It's, uh, it, it looked like hell. And that was before the dragon showed up. That was just a crab feeders. Yeah. Uh, business. Yeah. It's a very cool looking scene. Um, I noticed that this, Episode is bookended by Damon fucking the crab feeder shit up, uh, <laughs> and getting shot with an arrow in roughly the same place. I, yeah, I, I don't know what they're trying to do with that, but I don't know. I noticed the the in addition to being resistant to heat, the the Targaryen armpit yeah. is just bulletproof. It's essentially level four <laughs> body armor, but it's also a bullet magnet. So I guess yeah, that's convenient. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was there's a lot of really cool moments like uh, the dragon Caraxes, which clearly does not give two fucks about these arrows, like using its shield mm-hmm. or it's 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 giant wing as a shield for its master. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And it just being kind of like pissed that these guys are fighting back. I thought that was a nice little uh, character moment. Mm-hmm. The fire of Caraxes. Did you see the way it like incinerates the top halves of the guys like there's a gout of flame and there's dudes are running and it's just like their legs fall down and there's nothing left at the top half of them <laughs> jeez yeah that dragon uh, fire is hot it is super hot um but yeah i i don't know i and i thought like to the extent that this show hasn't a lot of humor i enjoyed the black humor of the uh, valerian knight you know cursing the crab feeder to his face and thinking his prince was here to save him and 
nah, man, you're just a landing pad. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing about dragons. They're a fairly indiscriminate weapon on a mixed battlefield. Like, you can't yeah. pinpoint the enemy very well. So if they can get in and just... It, it, I guess if they could break their lines and and mix in with the rest of the armies, you'd have a hard time using a dragon to put that down. Yeah, I believe they call that danger close when you call in fire support hmm. right on top of yourself to get the enemy. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of that going on yeah. in, in House Targaryen. But also you wonder, um, yeah, it's... I'm I'm curious to see how they conceive of armed forces going forward because it seems like no one would ever do battle in an open field. So, and why would the Targaryens ever commit to a place to to a whole bunch of like get their people massed together on either side because they both have dragons? It's like yeah, it mm-hmm. seems like it's going to be almost like a submarine form of com- combat that they'd have to engage in. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe they can think of reasons. They'll get bring out the old scorpions. Uh, I wonder yeah, if we'll ever get what? insight into how the the foot soldiers feel about that. You know, like, man, they killed. Yeah, the dragons came in and won the battle, but it, they killed a lot of us, too. A lot of us. Right. Right. I guess it probably comes down to how if they won or lost, you know, sure. And whose side has got, you know, like when the dragons burn into the other guys like, ha this rules when the dragon set you on fire. Ah, no, nah, <laughs> fuck, this sucks. You know, kind of that meme. <laughs> sure. And I guess the ones who get set on fire aren't there to complain anymore. So true. All right, let's go three years, uh, uh, maybe a year into the future here. It's three years from where we left it last episode. Uh, there's a new mm-hmm. male heir, Aegon, and he is celebrating his second name day. Viserys gets a report about how poorly the crab feeder siege is going, but he doesn't care to clean up his brother's mess. They're about to leave for Aegon's name day party or uh, the royal hunt that's going to happen. But Rhaenyra is nowhere to be found. Uh, boy, I like I said in the instant take, I was really playing catch up in this scene. It was a lot easier to follow the second time around. Um, yeah. It, but, I, it, but I had it, so many questions too, like not not just things that and things that aren't actually answered by the end of the episode. I don't know how the king's wounds are faring. I, I went back and I looked at his fingers. Those don't look like totally normal stumps to me. Those look like still rotting, kind of problematic stumps. It makes me wonder about what's going on with his back. <laughs> kind of problematic man. stumps. The <laughs> if we the did Sirius Targaryen names. story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah. No, I think um, I think you're. What do you What do you think of Hightower's play here? It seems like they're it's, it felt really aggressive. But when I think about like, OK, it's been three years. Uh, it's it's I, I guess that this brother, you know, he's the Lord of high, the Lord, the Lord of Hightower, the, the older brother of uh, Otto here. And he's saying you need to put the foot on the gas. Maybe that makes sense. But it just felt like. Otto might be running just a little bit ahead of himself and irritating the king. But again, it's it's hard to tell because it's been three years and it, it feels like Otto's maybe kind of laid low after his last victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he's smart, he he would. Um, no need to push it. I, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the king, one of the things I appreciate about this episode is Patty Considine's performance as he gets more and more fed up with the politicking, as he puts it. Yeah. And how this genuinely joyful smile that he has at the beginning of this episode 
just gets more and more forced. Every time he's yes. forced to interact with a lord who wants Rhaenyra's hand in marriage, who wants to give him a spear for their own glory and the killing of the stag, like all this just adds up to him getting more and more fed up and frustrated. And the performance there is so good. It's so gradual. It's so it's so natural to me. Yeah, I've often read in books like, you know, just, just describe someone's smile as curdling, you know, like milk. And I feel yeah. like there was a curdling smile exhibition put on <laughs> just just a fucking masterclass in the middle goings here by uh, uh, by Patty. Uh, mm-hmm. Just I, I just felt I just really felt bad for the dude, you know? Yeah. He's not even a bad king. By Westeros, mm-hmm. like name a better king that we've seen depicted on video right. in the the show thus far. Like fucking Robert, no. <laughs> the Mad King, uh uh-uh. uh. Joffrey, no. Stannis, like no. It's Stannis. All, all the king, uh, I mean, king wannabes, no. Yeah, Mister Burn his own daughter for no result. Like mm-hmm. I, it's he clearly at least gives a shit and maybe he's a little bit weak. Maybe he's a little bit leans too much on his people's counsel, but like, don't you want a King to be, you know, the guy, the guy's at least trying, Mm -hmm. uh, and and has what it seems like a fairly decent heart. It's, and in fact, it seems like he's, it's his biggest problem is he just doesn't trust his gut enough. Yeah. You know, which, which saddles him with a huge amount of regret and bitterness by, by this episode. But he's, he's kind of bad for John Snow. I don't know. In yeah. some ways, in other ways, he's just like Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. Neither of them seem to really want this. He doesn't want to. That's what he just he needs to speak a language they'll understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we get some um, information that's going to be important later, right? About uh, this battle going poorly. That's going to be kind of yeah. the crux of this whole episode. Yeah, and there's there's two twin Lannister brothers. Tyland is the dull one, apparently, and Jason is the hot one. Tyland is the so, one on the council. Yeah, the we. Master, I don't think uh, we've previously seen. I, I'm supposing that he is. I. Uh, I shit. I should have looked this up, but like you're. I'm just not realizing. Yeah, I, I left a, a lore stone uncovered. All right, I'm going to surmise that Corliss abandoned his post and mm. went to the stepstones so that he is the new master of ships. Okay. Uh, since he seems like he's trying to like marshal, uh, but he could be, I don't know. He could be some other, uh, uh, role that they haven't introduced thus far, but that's what I'm guessing. Cause like court, Corliss is not around to do his duties. Right. All right. Let's go find Rhaenyra. Turns out she's under the weirwood tree and the godswood reading, uh, while her, I guess you'd call him a bard. I, I don't know. Uh, plays her some songs. Minstrel, minstrel, uh, troubadour. Is that a thing? I don't. I don't. I think you could be a troubadour. Sure, sure. Uh, Allison arrives to fetch her for the royal hunt, and Rhaenyra would rather stay, but the king has ordered her to go, so she does. Uh, whatever, whatever this bard troubadour guy is, he is another Samwell, which I found interesting. This is uh, yeah. not any tie, as best I can tell. The Samwell Tarly. But Probably knows? not, but it's just another kind of like dopamine hit for the old school Game of Thrones fans. Sure. Um, he's singing a song about Princess Nymeria. 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 Oh, yeah. Which, the namesake uh, of Arya's wolf, huh? Yep. The the famous first princess of Dorne uh, who led her, the people to Roinar over into Essos. 
um, fled fleeing the Valerian Empire. Um, it's a third. I think it's the second time she's been name checked in three episodes. Hmm. So again, if if there is a Namiria prequel in in planning, uh, which I think would be a good one, they're uh, they're definitely laying the, the groundwork for it. Are they drawing connections between Rhaenyra and her? Well, so I. I I was thinking about this and it seems like because one of the things criticism I had on my first watch is that like it looked like Rhaenyra was just being a shit. She's like, well, if no one's going to take me seriously, then fuck it. I don't even I'm not even going to try being a queen. I think you're supposed to understand that because because she is definitely having Princess Namira played on repeat, like has her eye of the tiger, her feminist eye of the tiger. Like this is the woman who led her people and did all these great things and was taken seriously by the men and blah, blah, blah. Um, But she's also hitting the books. You know, where she had to be forced to do that. The, the only problem with the character is so I, I think you're supposed to understand that she is trying to polish herself into a leader while still being standoffish with her father and still being kind of like throwing shade at her former best friend. The only problem with that is like I always got that Rhaenyra didn't take the study seriously, but she was smart enough that she just picked it up anyway. Because like she sure, wasn't ever caught wrong. out by not knowing anything, right? So well, imagine what but she I think that's what they're trying to go herself, for, right? Right. Uh, well, yeah, there's that. So yeah, Walter White. I don't, I don't think she's. I, I still think she's unpolished. She's not very political in this episode, and that's yeah. unfortunate. But I do think, in her way, she is trying to prep herself to be a leader, and that all you know turns to uh, crap when she realizes that Jason. Uh, <laughs> Lannister has been basically foist upon her by her father. <laughs> it's a foisting. It's a foisting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, then then she's just like full rebellion mode. But I think you're yeah. right. I think she's trying to fit in where she can here uh, and make herself a better prospect for the throne. And then and like I I thought that they did the three year time jump really well because last we saw these people, Allison, you know, is chewing her fingernails down to the bone. She's worried sick about this. She's like twisting in the wind between, you know, her king to be and her former best friend. And now we see that Allison is kind of not completely out of patience because she is getting impatient. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, strong arming uh, Rhaenyra here, but also in many instances in this episode where she could slit the blade slip the blade between Rhaenyra's ribs she is actually stumping for her where it counts in front of her husband the king um she's not taking Otto's advice to heart she seems like she's still trying to and like she said in the scene like th- it doesn't need to be like this Rhaenyra yeah like do apparently they haven't had an honest conversation in three years because it's like uh-huh. look I mean I know maybe you can be mad at me for keeping the king's confidence abo- above you but he did kind of order me to and also what am I going to do say no say no to my dad say no to the king you mm-hmm. like come on what the fuck uh, but yeah, on I, the other hand I get it, it's a lot <laughs> and, and I, I love the you know the change of dynamic that we knew had to come with her becoming queen it's it's I feel like it's a huge mistake when she tries to order Rhaenyra to do something in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, she she tries For to use sure. her power as queen to tell her to come to this party, and especially it, since she knows it, better, she later tells Viserys like the way yeah. to get Rhaenyra to do something is to make her think it's her choice, right. and she's kind of doing the opposite of that by coming in here. But Little again, psychology. it's been three years. It's been three years of this shit with her, right? You you can imagine, like if mm-hmm. anything, like this is the calmest Rhaenyra has been about it, and she's being 
a real shit you know it's like the whole like was it order by order of the king yes well then by all means my grace let's go at once like she's really giving her to business here right um and i don't know what the actual power dynamic is here the heir to the throne the princess how much she has to listen to her mother uh you know her her new mother um i i don't know like could allison just be like off with her head i'm the queen off with her head and I don't think so, okay. but it's a good question because the queen has a lot of like soft power right, because right. she gets it like essentially reflected from the king. Right. Sure. I mean, she has. But it's like one of those here. things I, I as, as certain as I am that Allison couldn't just say off with her head and no one, <laughs> no one would comply. Uh, right. Viserys wouldn't let that the, happen. But 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 if Viserys dies and Rhaenyra does be made queen, like I'm pretty sure Rhaenyra could on that day be like take the queen mother and her children and throw them off a cliff or something and sure. everyone would do it so uh-huh. yeah it's dangerous dangerous to be this at odds with uh, the heir to be yeah i think some of that is going to be patched up by the end of this honestly uh at the end of this episode i think the conversation she has with uh viserys later on could could smooth over a lot of that but we'll see. Do you think reconciling with her father would reconcile her to Allison? A though? little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. We're on to uh, the ride to the name day celebration where Viserys tries to remind Rhaenyra of her various duties, but he gets a lot of attitude. And the line that really stuck with me the entire episode is how she doesn't like killing boars because they squeal like children when they're being slaughtered. But when she's pushed by a boar, god damn it, right? she will rise to the occasion. Maybe maybe don't be a mother then. <laughs> if, if you're going to stab the boars when they come at you a little too hard. So they start out this like, you know, it's like, oh, look at here, Rhaenyra, you're going to be a uh, you're going to be uh, with child soon. Something that we know from the first episode is not something Rhaenyra ever looked forward to. Mm-hmm. Not a great way to bond with her. Um, and then. Is Allison goading her? Is this one of the things where she's being loyal behind her back, but like kind of shitty to her face because they play this like it's a huge faux pas for her to be like, it's fine, Rhaenyra. Yeah, the days are long, but look at me. I had Aegon with no problems, came right out, didn't kill me or nothing. Mm. And you see the ladies in waiting going like, ooh, and they cut the Viserys and he's going, ooh, (laughs) you know, like it's just an awkward moment. Did she do it on purpose or is that just like... I don't think so. I think there are a couple of faux pas, right? Because later on, Jason mm. Lannister does a similar thing where he says, like, something about, would you turn down a whole bunch of new dragons? Like, you know, equating it to power. And if it's right. like, oh, do you have dragons to offer? And he's right, like, oh, yeah. well, shit, no. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of steps like, in oh, it. I think that's yeah. her just, like, accidentally stepping in it. Stepping in it, yeah. yeah. Saying something insensitive, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because that's clearly what everyone's thinking is like, well, we know the last queen had a lot, you know, yeah. a lot of trouble with this whole thing. It wasn't so simple. Yeah, and that wound is, you know, still there. It's not as fresh now as it was last episode, but... And there's there. also this, you know, it's all about the succession. Like, the reason Rhaenyra is salty is because this is her brother's birthday and no one is here for her. They all swore fealty right. to her three years ago, but nobody's here and by extension, Probably never. it's even worse, right? Because Viserys isn't even here for her. He's here for yeah. the heir, whoever yeah. that may be. And he's going to, in her mind, sell her off to, to get whatever yep. scraps he can salvage from yeah. this former heir once he names Aegon. And I wouldn't say it's misunderstanding because I do think that 
Viserys is still kind of like wrestling with like, God, yeah. did I make this an impetuous decision? Uh, and if I did make it, do I mean it? Like, is there, do I, am I giving up this dream of, you know, mm-hmm. the slam dunk male heir that everybody loves and admires? Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. It's what I like. All right. They arrive at the name day celebration where they're greeted by dozens of lords. Uh, Rhaenyra roams the tents, gets noticed by Jason Lannister, then gets pulled into a conversation about her uncle's failing war, which she quickly puts an end to. Not the war, the conversation about the war. <laughs> um, yeah, we meet, uh, the, we see the, the Lannister twins here together. We see the other strong boys. Um, strong boys. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to uh, get to, get to know, uh, Laris a little bit better. Uh, and we're going to hear a little bit about his brother, Bone Bonebreaker, I think. Breakbones. Harwin Breakbones. Harwin Breakbones. What a great right. nickname. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We see uh, him, actually, I, I think, in the episode. Uh, we do a couple he's times. He's the one that he's gives standing that here. crazed smile when Rhaenyra shows he's back up. He's the only one going like, yes, queen, <laughs> when he sees her show up covered in blood. Yeah. Like, Breakbones <laughs> is all about that shit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you see him standing here by his his, his brother and his his uh, father as well. Uh, they they name checked as Joanna Swan, uh, who's gotten abducted. Um, one of the reasons, because so like you know, you'll recall in the first episode, the Westerosi men were kind of like, "Oh wow, the Triarchy wants to clean up the pirate problem and Stepstones. Sweet, we don't even mind paying them uh, a toll fee to get across there because shit, we don't want to deal with these pirates." Uh, what happens in the books is that eventually they keep on the triarchy competes to like who can extract the most wealth out of that passage. And uh, lease, which is one of the three arms of the triarchy, is known for their pleasure houses, their pillow houses. And they start taking like women, girls and young boys off the ships to sell to the, the, the try to ransom if they're a lord or just sell as slaves. And the Westerosi mm. people get pretty hot. And this yeah. is one of them. Uh, and her father in the books mentioned that he was so kind of like cheap that he he could have ra- paid a pretty modest ransom to get his daughter out of Hawk and he just didn't. So she gets shipped off to the pleasure houses of lease. And uh, it'll be interesting wow. to see if they, they follow up on that, because there's a little bit more to her story that even the book says it doesn't have anything to do with the main action. But it's kind of interesting. Hmm. Um the other interesting political thing is this lady Redwine that. uh that Rhaenyra dunks on is Red, House Redwine controls probably the second or third largest fleet in Westeros. You got the Valerians, mm. you got the Ironborn, and then somewhere in there, you've got the Redwine fleet. Okay. Uh, and they remain a significant naval threat into the days of Robert's Rebellion and beyond. So, like, yeah, it's cool that you dunked on them, but you know, with your uncle kind of like languishing and losing a lot of his perhaps naval strength and his, his sworn bannerman in the Stepstone adventure. And, you know, uh, do you want to be pissing off this powerful house? Is that going to come or any of these chickens going to come home to roost later? Yeah. Um, especially if you're not going to take Lord Strong's advice. I, I feel like Lord Strong is becoming stronger and stronger uh, through these episodes because you know, he's got the advice to patch things up with Corliss by marrying Rhaenyra off to... Yeah. L- 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 hmm? What's his name? Lanor. Lanor. thank you. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, but, of course, we see by the end of this episode, he's going to let Rhaenyra choose who she wants to marry, and I doubt it's going to be Lanor. She doesn't even really 
know him as best as I can tell. Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, yeah, the alliances are going to be interesting going forward. Uh, I think there, there's an interesting nugget here with Allison sort of trying to stand up for Rhaenyra in this conversation because um, uh, Redwine's taking it to her at the beginning. Yeah, and she's she's good speaking above herself. Yeah, but and then Allison tries to step in kind of and, and soft diffuse it, yeah. diffuse it. But I don't think Rhaenyra likes that. I think Rhaenyra sees that as like, look, I can fight my own battle here yeah whether don't, it's don't, with the sword don't manage or the me i don't yeah. need to be handled yeah and then she does i agree i mean she just i mean she puts down this conversation quickly yeah. and uh sir larry strong laris you're just supposed to notice him i think you know mm-hmm. here's a guy he's quiet got his ears open his eyes open uh sitting sitting with the ladies talking about the political intrigue mouthful just, of cake. you know just just Mouthful, just yeah, foot sideways, mouthful of cake. Just, just keep your keep your eye on these strong boys. Uh, you're definitely supposed to be knowing them. Uh, okay. Uh, Jason Lannister tries to impress Rhaenyra with his wealth and his wine, and then offers to build her a dragon pit when they're married. Rhaenyra is unimpressed. Uh, it's because I actually think this is a pretty decent way to pick up a Targaryen princess, man. Let's, you know, like, hey, I'm handsome, I'm well-established, and I'm not above building a dragon pit for, you know, a three-car dragon garage for you. <laughs> it's just that <laughs> Rhaenyra is not having any of this shit, and to her, it's further evidence that she's going to be supplanted. Why is my dad so hot to, to marry me off if he's not just trying to get whatever value I've got, you know? Mm-hmm. Trying to try it's like a trading in a used car before it rolls over a hundred thousand on the odometer, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think this goes into you know what Viserys says about Rhaenyra with the reverse psychology you got to use on her, right? If it's if it's your idea, mm. it's a terrible idea. If it's her idea, right. she thinks if you can make her think it's her idea, it's a great one. Uh, and anybody who walks up to here to her at this point, I think, and tries to pitch her on marriage is going to be turned down. I, Kristen Cole, I, anybody could yeah. walk up to her and make this pitch and they'd be turned down because it's their idea. She, uh-huh. she needs to be the one I think to initiate whatever is going to happen with, with, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty bold. This guy who he says is, I don't, we haven't even met. I'm just going to propose a marriage alliance right here, right now. Absolutely. Instead of bold. like getting to know her, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, Rhaenyra is a lot like if we're going to the Downton Abbey reference, she's a lot like uh, Cousin Mary. You know, she's just does not want to be managed, does not want to kind of wants to do her own thing. I understand she has duties and obligations, but does not like to be reminded of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, but I, I just like this. It's, I, I got the idea that Jason <laughs> might be the first time in his life he's been told, like, just turn down cold. Uh, yeah, could be his wealth and and. Wine gets him nothing here. Yeah. All right. Rhaenyra goes back inside and tells off her father for trying to set her up with Jason. They argue loudly about it before Otto interrupts to say that they've spotted a white heart, which is a good, good omen. Uh, Rhaenyra rides off on her horse and Kristen Cole goes after her. Yeah. They have a, uh, a flat out screaming match. Yeah. That everyone at court kind of notices. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, probably are free to write their prejudices upon it. Like, oh, is the king telling her that uh, her bur- you, you can imagine what the whisper. Like, oh, she's he's probably telling her that, uh, you know, now that Aegon's too, she's going to be set aside and or, oh, they're they're bickering about what to do about Damon. It's like it just doesn't look good. We've been told this entire season that Targaryen, the house Targaryen looks weak from within and without. And mm-hmm. you're seeing it right here. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I was like scratching my head about this white stag, this white heart d- business, and I'm like, well, maybe this is like something that they, that the Baratheons did, the Stormlords did before the Targaryens came along. And Ryan Connell copped to the fact that they just invented this. This is a repurposed Arthurian legend. Um, you know, that this is tied to like King Arthur's uh, court. And, you know, at the beginning of his reign, a white heart came rampaging through Camelot and send the knights on some quests that had some, I might be talking, I, this, this might be a topic I want to tackle for the Maester's Corner. But uh, I thought that was interesting that they are going into broader Western culture to, to make new lore. Uh, Ryan Condal, he of the marble clock in system is now inventing uh portents and signs for Westeros. Sure. I like it. He's probably going to have to invent a lot of stuff for this show. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since he's making, you know, a whole episode from two paragraphs in the book. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of stuff to elaborate on. Yep. But also I just felt like this is where Otto really felt like you could feel the serious get like, Oh God, my hands are greasy after, after dealing with you. Like what does everything's just oily. The white stag poop. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> it's the poop club. Yeah. Yeah. Someone on InstaTake was, I think it was John from the Lorehounds saying like, you know, that uh, Viserys has got this, this stat, this, this heart spore that he's rubbing on his hands and gloves. And no wonder you're losing fingers. You're touching people with that. <laughs> um, but this auto, like I was never a man for portents, but if the gods wish to show the favor, <laughs> like just slow down, <laughs> slow down, auto. Come on. Yeah, I mean Otto is not going to slow down. He's going to he's going to put the pedal to the metal this episode. He puts a gas. I'm telling <laughs> you, it's like Viserys is he looks like he's a race car in the red, man. He's going to throw a rod. You don't want to be in the room when that happens. Indeed. All right, Kristen catches up with Rhaenyra some ways into the Kingswood. He's able to calm her with his charm, but not able to convince her to return to the celebration. They walk and talk about what's bothering her. She she feels powerless. She can't make these decisions. Uh, toothless, I think, is the term she uses. Yeah. But, you know, I think he kind of, like, gets uh, princess points for saying, like, hey, you know, you might be toothless, but I owe my entire career to you. So, yeah, not that toothless. What? How how many 17-year-old girls can say they made a knight's career in Westeros? Um, Don't answer that question. (laughs) Don't ask Mushroom for the answer to that question because he might know. Right. Uh, <laughs> I do like the the relationship that they're showing has developed off screen in the last three years. There, there seems to be a warmth here. Um, I, I I don't know. I was looking for the the romance uh, the second time around. Didn't really see it. I'm seeing more of just like a warm relationship between. He's doing what Jason should have done. Just just put in the time, get to know her. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, sure. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. that's where they're going with it, definitely. Um, this is the way but to Rhaenyra's also, heart. 
remember that there's no way that this relationship can flourish in any kind of official capacity. He's a sworn brother of the Night's Guard. Right. Do you remember what that means? It means th- no marriages, sex, no marriages, no yeah. sex, no heirs, no holdings, mm-hmm. no lands, no titles, no nobility, nothing. Not all they, they are get to, they is get, Kingsguard. They get to, I mean, it's a very prestigious position and you get a lot of swag points for it. Um, but all you get to do is wear the white and uh, die for the king or queen if you're lucky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. It's uh it looks like a doomed relationship if it ever turned into one. Yeah. All right. Viserys joins the royal hunt momentarily, at least long enough to feel the Whitehearts poop. Uh then he goes back <laughs> to the tent where he proceeds to start drinking. And J- Jason Lannister gives him a golden spear with which to kill the white stag. Uh then he makes the mistake of assuming that Viserys is going to name Aegon his new heir and gets told off. And Otto feels like this is the moment I need to swoop in with my absurd suggestion that Rhaenyra be married to baby Aegon. And Viserys literally laughs in his face. <laughs> my God, Is this man. a marketing tactic? Like when you offer someone just a clearly terrible solution sure. so that the next solution you offer immediately looks better by comparison? Gotta be. Because this can't be taken seriously, right? He's like, well, you know, if, we, if you're not willing to marry your daughter to the prince, uh, the, the you know, who clearly will be heir. And I, I wonder where where his next his next play is going to be. Uh, I you can't go much lower than this, honestly. I, yeah. Marrying, uh, br- br- I guess it's half brother to half sister here, uh, but. And that's certainly not the most egregious Targaryen marriage, I'm sure. But to a two-year-old, a 17-year-old to a two-year-old, yeah. I don't know about this, That's Otto. rough. That's rough even. I mean, I know it happened, but it's got to be rough for all involved <laughs> even in, yeah. Um, you know, I, it's, I tell you, um, Patty Considine does some quality face work here. Yes. Like, I think that Jason um, Lannister is going up and thinking that this man is a fool. And that, that like, you know, obviously I'd spend a lot of time, but like he finds that there's a little, there is a little bit of fire and blood in this man still. Sure. And if he wasn't real smart with how he used his tongue, he might find himself, uh, you know, gibbeted, gibbeted. I'm not sure. Uh, dead body on public display. Yeah, jibbed. Just <laughs> blown into a thousand pieces. No, and, and it's funny too, by the end of this conversation, he just, he shuts his mouth, right? Like, he... So that's all you can he's do. He's too afraid to respond in any way because every time he's tried to respond in this conversation, it's been met with either either it being turned around on him or fury or just something unexpected so he just shuts up i love it yeah it's a useful skill to learn if you're ever in a rigidly hierarchical structure the ability to just eat a shit sandwich yeah regardless of the justice of it because you know uh you're in a rigid hierarchy and you kind of have to um but i like that man that that that's that smile the eyes i was talking about that this is the curdled smile i was talking about when yes. he hits jason with after he's like dresses this guy down but thank you for your spear mm-hmm. uh i really appreciate it hit him with the the the, the, the grayscale smile <laughs> uh boy let's talk about auto for a second i auto is really falling in my estimation i thought he had some good ideas i thought he was uh you know protector of the king advisor of the king um 
he just seems more and more unhinged. And I don't even know why he suggests this marriage to Aegon. I, I don't really know what purpose it serves. I feel like... I mean, Lord Strong. Lord Strong is the one who is is really impressing me in these past few episodes. He's got the yeah. right advice at the right time. He's patient. I, I think, like, him waiting until now to... Uh, until the king... I, I don't know. Until, like, this issue has to be pressed a little bit. He's not in the king's ear the day after the death of his wife trying to tell him what to do. He waits for the king to come to him. Like... There's just a lot going on with Lord Strong that I really appreciate. Do you think that Lord Strong is giving the rare and elusive leal service and advice to his king? Or is he playing what you would call the long game? Where like I'm going instead of auto, I, I see auto pumping the gas. I'm going to tap the brakes and and I'm, I know if I'm patient. Counterpoint uh, to auto. I'm going to, and then Otto's going to, yeah. Like, do you think it's more of just, he's just a man of the realm and he's trying to do good? Or do you think that uh, it's a, just a different strategy? No, I think it's the former. I feel like Lord Strong really cares right to do right um, by both the people and by his king. And it, yeah, at every turn, I think he's giving him the right advice. Yeah, that's like I, I mentioned in the first episode that like that was his book reputation heading into this series is that he was, you know, he let people think of him as being kind of slow witted and thick, uh, a man of few words. He did a lot of listening, but when he actually opened his mouth, it was something that men took seriously, you know, and he's actually very learned and educated. So, yeah, I it's uh, I, it's I, I, I think you've got a good perspective there. Yeah, they're doing a great job laying it out for me. Um and it's it's going to be interesting because I think he wins Viserys's favor at the end of this, right? Like Viserys had an expectation of what Lord Strong was going to say to him in this moment. He definitely. Not, the, the thing is, is that Viserys is in his cups. Uh, so will he mm-hmm. remember? <laughs> sure, but secondly, sure. like, no, you, you when he leans against Lord Strong and like claps his, his poop hand on his shoulder. <laughs> It's not just to rub the poop off. Yeah, it's not just it's not just to wipe the poop off. It's, it's uh, I think he's like leaning like I'm like, man, I'm I'm leaning on this guy. This master of law here is just yeah. got hit after hit. He's banging out. Also telling my royal personage, I told you so in the most polite way possible, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about the match that he had already like he's the way you reminded him of, like you know, I tried to tell you the last time, sir. Maybe you don't remember. Uh, this isn't the first time I've come talking sense to you. He's he's doing a good job this episode for sure. And then to find out that he has Harwin Breakbones as his son, uh, the strongest knight in the land, according to Viserys here, I think is another added dimension. I I guess I wouldn't have expected that. I would have expected his kids to be more like him. You know, uh, not the not the, the what's the inverse of speak softly and carry a large stick. Uh, be a loud asshole and ca- and, and carry the littlest stick in the world. <laughs> okay, it's not quite that. I mean, apparently, Breakbones got a big stick, but you know, uh, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't have expected that. So, a lot of layers mm. to this family. I'm I'm very interested to see what they do in the future. And knowing this show, they'll probably just be wiped out by dragon fire or something like next episode. But who knows? All right, we already kind of talked through the next scene where Viserys continues drinking very heavily into the evening and Lord Strong offers his opinion on who to marry Rhaenyra to and his suggestion is Laenor Valerian, thereby reuniting him and Corlys, which is important. 
Yeah, like you know, the the to put it mildly, he almost says that uh, the breach between the two houses has not narrowed. This would do a long way to yep. You know, but uh, yeah, he definitely the king suspecting self-serving glad handing and he gets sage counsel and you can truly, truly appreciate it, it seems. But man, the king is having he, it's a bad place to be when you're drinking so much. It gets in the way you're drinking like yeah. where you can't physically pour or wine, can't hit the, the I mean, that's the target, what he's got servants for, right? Come on. The servants get you then, optimally drunk. That's that's the yeah. point of them. And I think they made it a point of showing like Allison noticing all this too. Like she's yeah. seeing this dark. And I also like, man, this guy is so lonely. Why doesn't he feast with his wife and his child? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he like pick a tape, like, you know, have like a more of a Lord's table kind of uh, a thing. Um, I, think I don't he's know just my thinking over his decision, right? He's stewing on this. So that's a, that's his decision. Thing. He wanted to be yeah. a, with a, with the King's guard kind of like, you know, gating presence to him. Okay. I think so. That makes sense. Yeah, he's he's really having a crisis of conscience here. Um, I I do want to know. I hope we get information in the future on how Breakbones got his nickname. That would be fun because I can't imagine. I, I assume it's something to do with like I don't know a tournament gone wrong or gone right for him, where he just like bests everybody and yeah. Well, he's like uh, the the um, Wiki Vice and Fire describes him as the strongest man in the Seven Kingdoms in his day. He's described as being massive and redoubtable, which is a cool word. Redoubtable. It means like it's kind of like a, uh, a, a it's saying the person's formidable, but tinged with like on respect, hmm. you okay. know, like like you're, it's it's almost fear inspiring how formidable mm-hmm. they are. Uh, so know, that gives you an idea of of his character going into the series. I feel like you all. Hmm. That's rough, considering I've seen the mountain. Considering I've seen both of his day. <laughs> yeah, but there's you're telling me there's no mountain mountain like character. There's no even like. Uh, hound type characters out it's there. It's interesting no? because like he honestly, that big. There are definitely big characters in the world of Ice and Fire, but I'm struggling to think of one in this era. Uh, huh. Maybe this is the break bones of the era, but of course, like as you say, he's no mountain. Um, yeah, or no, this, yeah, this is the mountain of his era. He's not, but he's he's not that. Uh, you know, uh, Sir Duncan the Tall, which pals around with the egg and the Duncan Egg series. Uh, sometimes people thought he could be the like grandsire through some way of Brienne of Tarth. Uh, he's like a notably huge, massive person, but he's not going to show up for about another 70 so years. Hmm. Okay. I'll take the word for it for now. I, I thought like he gave like a, a, a beefy uh, Bradley Cooper vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. A little bit of Greek mixed in there. Sure. All right, Rhaenyra still doesn't want to return to the celebration. She sits around a fire talking with Kristen. Something spooks the horses, and Kristen gets up to deal with it, and a boar charges out of the woods and attacks Rhaenyra, and they tag team it and kill it. It's kind of wild that she... uh, I mean, it says something about her that she's able to fend off a wild boar attack. Like, he's just trying to gore with her tusks, and uh, she wasn't having it. Um then to be fair, you know, uh, <laughs> Sir Crispin there, 
jumped in with his 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 uh, sword and did did a did a lot but she she ends up having to put the guy put the guy down um Ex- i thought it's extremely it was dangerous move with that sword by the way he stabs right through the boar's head right at her face fair point but on the other hand uh that gore, that that boar was the seconds from goring his his sworn charge so it's like well yeah you know uh, she's definitely going to die by pig. Uh, maybe she'll die by my sword. We'll see. Um, I'm probably a dead man either way if that, that happens. Sure. Do you think... What, do you, what did you make of their conversation where she's like, I'm worried that the realm won't accept me as queen and she's, and you know Sir Kristen uh, responds, well, they'll have to. Do this you think is that, the same thing that uh, the Rainus told her. Or, or the, mm-hmm. the Rainus... This is the opposite of what Rainus told her. Rainus said, "Yes, they won't accept you." And and Rhaenyra was like, "Well, I'll make them accept me because I'll be queen." And she's like, I'll nah, "Change things? Nah, that won't happen." Do you think that this is like she's recognizing that there is like something fundamentally in conflict with her worldview that like um, she doesn't want to be ordered and made to do things, and she's resentful, and she's starting to realize that like, oh my god, there's a lot of lords that don't want to go along with this and you know I know how I act when I said I'm forced to do something how was a, would a proud lord or lady be do you think there's like a realization that she's making there um I suppose there could be because certainly yeah, if, if she, she's not hmm. it's it's uh, it's like you know uh, the opposite of doing to others how you'd want them to do into you yeah, rules she did. for thee, not for me. I think that's more accurate. I don't think she's mm. that self-aware of her own emotional internal state uh, at this point. I I think like she's she's just angry about the situation more than she yeah. is internalizing any of this stuff. I do wonder if they're starting to show like a turn there because like she got real thoughtful uh, uh-huh. once he said that. I also like the idea, mm-hmm. like, as they wake up covered in gore, I like the idea that they just went to sleep like this. Yeah. It's like, whoo, man, know, stabbing the shit of that. That took a in. lot out of me. I think I was going to turn in. I'm a little sticky. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have any wet wipes? No. Okay. Well, good night. <laughs> like, yep. There's not a stream nearby. Uh, your there fucking was. We white, saw one. Your, 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 your pure white cloak can't wipe blood off the princess's face. Come on. <laughs> right. Uh, we also have to bring back the treason scale. You know, we we talked about this with uh, Damon and Corliss and all that. But oh, how, okay. on the treason scale of one to ten, how treasonous is it to say, even playfully, his grace can worry himself to death if he so likes? How's that on the treason scale for you? It's pretty light. It's pretty light treason, to be honest, because it's not you're not saying that you're taking action. You're saying that you would allow his grace to worry himself to death. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you wouldn't it's do also to his daughter, it. the heir kind of like, yeah, I don't think it's an act. <laughs> I, I think the king's guard would consider that an actionable threat. <laughs> Probably not. I'm gonna give it a one point five. OK, there are less treasonous things you can do, but this there are certainly because like it, it, it would be a zero if there was no enmity between her father. But they're kind right. of at odds, so like these kind of are kind of dangerous. But like, yeah, I'll also, give it a this 1. is 5. the heir saying that you know if the if right. he does worry himself to death, guess who's queen? She's going to be benefiting from it. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. a two. Maybe we're up to two. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, is okay. So let's talk about the boar a little bit more. Um. Is there any connection here to Robert Baratheon? It was famously gored to death by a boar. 
I think that is yet another. I don't know. I don't know to what end. Maybe it's just like, hey, you remember season one of Game of Thrones? Here's a bunch of comfy Game of Thrones season one vibes we're going to give you. Okay. It might just be that. The the Uh, other thing about the boar is that line that stuck with me from previous scene that they scream like children when they're stuck. Uh, Yeah. And here she's the one sticking it. And we, we actually have, you know, this two-year-old child who's kind of at the crux of this episode who is the source of her consternation in this episode and boy she really goes to town stabbing this boar i feel Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of a lot of emotion being poured into that from the situation with Aegon. that's that's such a mildly interesting take jim uh i gotta hand it to you how, okay, how treasonous is it to knowingly stab to death a boar who you who in your mind represents the future heir to the throne? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you got to do a lot of proving of intent there. If I'm a Westerosi uh, prosecuting attorney, Lord Strong uh, could get it done. He could make that connection. Yeah, he might. Master of law, he might. Mm-hmm. He might. Um, but I do think it's interesting because, like, you remember how the Robert got himself killed by letting Lancel Lannister gods. What a stupid name. <laughs> ply him with wine, maybe even drugged wine to the part that he was yeah. so drunk. He couldn't defend himself from a boar. And I think it is interesting that like you see Viserys Robert Baratheon in it up, but his daughter's staying yeah. sober and she's able to, so like there's also maybe they're painting her as a worthier king because hmm. I, I think the, the the strong drink plus boar hunting, it's hard not to make those associations. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, can we clear this up? Would, would she be king or queen? She'd be the queen. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't certain if like, you know, that, that thing where like you call officers sir, even when they're women, would apply to a right. kingship or queenship. Got to show respect to officers, even if they're women, Jim. Turns out. Turns out. The, turns out it's a whole part of the uni- unified military code of justice or something. Something like it's that. big deal. <laughs> All right. Let's go over to a very drunk Viserys telling Allison about his dream of a male heir and how he pursued it until he lost faith. And that's when he named Rhaenyra his heir. <laughs> Now he's questioning whether that might have been a mistake. And then he hears a horn in the distance and stops drinking. I, I couldn't stop thinking like Viserys, he's just gazing into his burning logs. Like he's like, uh, you know, Burning Man's gone to shit ever since they started letting the trust fund kids come out in the RVs with their generators. It's just not the same. It's just mm-hmm. not the same. We used to come out here and get a good fucking burn on. And now look at us feasting, double headed boars. What? Uh, this, I mean, this this was a great drunken regret speech it's by a fantastic. king, yeah, who has caught between wanting to be this exceptional leader and the reality of like you're kind of probably just mediocre. You succeeded the best king that the Targaryens have probably ever sat on the th- throne, arguably maybe the best that ever has sat the Iron Throne, mm. and you're not bad. You're not a Joffrey. You're not a Robert. You're taking interest, you know, but you're. And, but he wants to be not just a dragon rider, which is a pretty exclusive club, but a dreaming Targaryen, someone that actually saves the world through their vision. And he yeah, doesn't want to give that up. I find that interesting, too, when you look at what has been passed down to him, right? This prophecy from uh, what is the was it Aegon the Conqueror? Is that? 
mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the of the you know the the long winter thing right, right. um with the mm-hmm. the night's king and all that all that stuff night king the song know. of ice and fire song of ice and fire um you know he he might have a little bit of prophecy envy like he's trying to hold on to mm-hmm. his prophecy uh or what he views as a prophecy in this dream uh with the male heir being crowned i think I, it, it's so good because they've done such a good job in the just short time that we've had with this series so far to tell us how important that dream was to him and how he let it go and how much he's regretting that. And it seems like each episode has been like the next stage of that. Uh, and here it's all kind of coming to a head. And I think, but it's something he it, keeps it, going it's been kind of really well told. Yeah. Cause it's also something he keeps going back and forth on like, Sure. This dream was an obsession. It, it killed his mom. Not in the mm-hmm. sense that like if he made a different choice, she wouldn't have died that day. But clearly you get the idea that he pressured her to like, come on, let's keep trying. Let's yeah. keep trying. Let's keep trying. We need a male heir. Let's keep trying that after all the, you know, the the rivers of blood out of that woman, uh, you know, killed her just as much as the maesters did. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, if I had just gone with Rhaenyra, what I did in like, she could still be alive. And, and simultaneously, I gave the dream up too soon because now, now I have like, the I've got this son like, and like, what, what if there is the white air? And it's like, it's like, I, I don't know if you've ever had friends like these, but I've got a, f- a friend or three who I think are a little bit too woo for their own good and like take shit like tarot cards and fortune telling seriously. And sometimes uh-huh. they make serious life decisions based on this shit. And I'm always mm. like, Oh my fucking God. <laughs> well, it's your life and you can use whatever sure. criteria, but you know, you know, and I feel like the same thing with Viserys is here's a man who really believes in these signs and portents. And he's got this white stat, this white heart staring down. I'm like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, on my son's name day in the King's Woods. What if? Yeah, this is the gods trying to tell me something. Yeah. And he's just one of those guys who's just going to like, well, shit, you know, it says uh, I'm, I'm miserable in my job and I got this hot new offer. But man, the horoscope says it's just a bad time for change guess i'll let it pass like it's mm, yeah mm. in the context of dreamer is interesting too because i when i think of dreamer i think of someone who follows their passions um who uh, lives a life unlike most people and and that's a good thing a positive thing you want people to follow their passions in life but yeah and so when i hear him say like giving up that dream it's a sad thing but simultaneously it's the smart thing um in his situation and so i'm i'm torn on this too. I, th- I think it's a, they've done a very good job of, in my mind of characterizing who this guy is and the, the internal tensions that are pulling at him. I think it's, it's just really well done and scenes like this and scenes like him apologizing to Rhaenyra later in this episode are mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to Viserys being taken to where they've pinned down a stag. It's not, the white art, but it is a big one. And he takes Jason spear and kills it. Uh, this uh, is almost a relief for him. I think in some ways that it isn't right. the white stag. Yeah. Cause it, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of symbolism in, in killing this thing in just a, a white heart being there. That's I think complicated. I think it's interesting because there's also um, this could be a partial allusion to his wife. You know, this is another innocent thing being held down and killed under his direction, uh, kind of messily. 
Uh, it's something that's like purposeless and it doesn't, you know, matter. Uh, something he's very ambivalent about. He's, you know, he's so drunk he can't even get his animal a clean death. I thought there's some interesting details because, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I got my answer about his the status of his fingers, but when he's holding on that that spear, the his bottom two fingers are sticking straight up because clearly there's no fingers in there to curl. There's yeah. a lot of it's like he's maybe not as sure handed because that's changed his grip or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, I just got. You wake up massively hungover, and the way that I thought the way they did the camera, like, because I thought the the heart looked white when it was backlit by that light, and then you get a good mm. look at oh, it's brown, and the opposite because of the golden hour light that we're seeing the white. I thought the when you first saw the white heart, uh, it looked brown. I thought that was interesting the way they're kind of like, hmm. you know, tr- tricking tricking your eye that way. Yeah, but um. Yeah. I just feel like what would it be like to be that hungover, that feeling like a shit, yeah. that kind of like surprised, relieved, disappointed. You try to kill this thing. All your men are watching. You're making a butchered show of it. And then they clap. for. I, I talk mm-hmm. about this in the instant take. Like if you've got an ounce of fraud complex in you and I think. <laughs> I think Viserys has more of a, a pound, if not a stone's worth. Yeah. This has got to just set that on edge, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are getting applauded for making a poor show of this gross perversion of the concept of a hunt and being a huntsman. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he definitely all eyes on him in this moment is not pleasing him. Uh, I I do have to ask because there is a lot of, you know, Baratheon esque stuff happening here with the boar and Robert now, are they doing anything here with a the, this Lannister weapon being used to kill a stag, which is the sigil of House Baratheon? Mm. I, I don't. If it is, it's almost ironic uh, in a way, right? Because that's going. We know that eventually Robert Baratheon turns the tables on the Targaryens. So, you know, this is almost like the the, the opposite of a positive portent. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a foreshadowing for things in Robert's day um, is a foreshadowing yeah. events that happen later in the series. That's a mildly interesting question. We'll have to see. OK, that is interesting. All right. The white stag may not have been uh, excuse me. White heart may not have been killed by Viserys, but it does show up near Rhaenyra and Kristen. She does not want to kill it, though. She lets it go and they return to the celebration, then eventually to King's Landing. It's funny on the official podcast, uh, Jason and I can't remember his co-host, one of the uh, people from one of the NPR nerd casts, uh, they were acting as if this was a deliberate act of mercy, like that she understood the significance of the white heart and that she just decided, like, ah, I don't need to hunt this thing. I'll let it. I already got the boar. I'll let it go. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, if so, that's just so incredibly foolish. And I think that it's easy to put her as like, you know, she's, she's kind of acting like a brat. She's kind of acting very foolish, but I think by the end of the episode, you understand a lot better from her sense. What kind of like fatalism, political fatalism has kind of settled in. Like, is she really going to kill this thing and bring it back and say, look, I'm the true heir or it would be a fucking power move. It'd be what Damon would would do. It, It absolutely would. But also it's like, why bother? Like, I know how this is going, right? I, my dad's yeah. trying to marry me off at every opportunity. He's got a new heir. Like, none of this matters. It's pointless. <laughs> why Why kill this thing? 
Yeah. For not, you know? Damon would kill it. He would skin it. He would wear its cloak into the camp. Uh, he mm-hmm. would, he, he honestly, he'd go further. He would find a brown ass deer and throw it in a tub of Clorox, <laughs> then bring it back. Sure, sure. Reeking of bleach. Look at this white heart I slew. Yeah, no, I, it's, <laughs> if she knew the significance and just decided to stay her hand because, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if they're setting up a theme of her being overly merciful or overly trusting. Yeah, that's that's what I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I do love when she came back to camp. Like they're just panning around in everyone's faces. Mm-hmm. You've got like Jason, Jason Lannister going oh like, God. "Oh God, oh gross!" Glad and she then didn't you got, accept my hand in marriage. <laughs> you got Harwin Strong. And he's like, "Yes, uh-huh. I want to bed that woman." <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah. All right, Otto sits with Allison and stresses about the, uh, sorry, stresses the importance of Viserys naming Aegon his heir. Allison then goes to Viserys' chambers to discuss it with him, but they ended up talking about a letter he got from Corliss Brothers saying they're losing the war in the Stepstones, and Allison simplifies the issue for him. Yeah. Um, again, Otto putting the pedal to the metal with his daughter now, being like, "Is this look? This isn't just political pride, child. The realm's gonna burn if Rhaenyra doesn't see uh, if, if the king forget Rhaenyra. If the king doesn't see wisdom and reason, it's going to destroy the realm. And you're not looking at this as like, because she's like, well, what kind of son am I raising if he's just going to go and usurp his sister? And he's like, no, she's the one that's like, by all laws of man and God, it's Aegon that should be, you know, she's stealing from him. This is really. Yeah. And you can tell, like, I don't, I think that she doesn't want to defy her father, but if you, the, the, the things she actually says to the king seem to be definitely more supportive of Rhaenyra than Otto. Otto would be very disappointed to find out the contents of their conversations, it seems like. Yeah, I, I sense a growing rift here between Allison and Otto. I think she does not appreciate him pushing so hard to replace Rhaenyra. Uh, mm. You know, him saying this thing about, like, to deny Aegon is to assail the laws of God and men. Uh, conspicuously, who's absent from that sentence? Women. I, I find that interesting. I don't think Allison appreciates that. Um, it, yeah, I I think as he pushes harder and harder, everyone's getting fed up with him. The king, Allison, everyone. He just yeah. he better be careful. That's the, the big lie. A lot of people push. It might be closer to the truth than uh, Otto's type of. Um, but like, no matter what happens, Aegon's going to be king. Okay. So, like, we can take the door with more blood or the, to- bore, the, the door with less blood, but it's inevitable. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people use here, that. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's a way to kind of, like, sap your strength to fight. It's like n- nothing you mm-hmm. can do. You can make it harder, sure, but you're not going to delay the inevitable. Um, right. I don't, I don't think that uh, Alicent is, is buying what he's selling at this point, though. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's telling that, you know, she goes to speak with Viserys and when the conversation never turns to, you know, who the heir should be, she doesn't, Mm -hmm. at at least as much as we see, she doesn't ever bring it up. She doesn't address it at all, right? Otto sent her in to convince the king. If anything, she gives him advice on how to handle. It's like, look, if you want to handle my former friend, Rhaenyris, you got Mm -hmm. Rhaenyra, you got to let her... You gotta let her set the tempo. You gotta let her call the dance. You know, you can't 
dictate yeah. the shit to her. Because I, I also think she knows Rhaenyra enough to know that Rhaenyra is pretty dutiful. If she thought it was like going someplace, she would, you know, take something seriously. But she also very much, should not, you know, wants to keep her own counsel on stuff, which is weird yeah. because she's not she's so much different from her father in that respect. Her father is much like just oh, someone tell me what to do. Rhaenyra is like, no one should tell me what to do. Yes, <laughs> totally. That's that's accurate. Um, I do wonder if there's more to this conversation because uh, we just kind of cut away from it. Right. And the next scene is interesting. We see Viserys making a couple of decisions. He takes her advice on what to do about Damon's failing war. And he sends he decides to send aid to him. And then he makes the choice to apologize to Rhaenyra and not replace her. And I wonder if that was part of the counsel that he got from Alicent as well, just after the conversation ended from our perspective. Mm. I, I, I mean, that's my question. My active question now is how much is Alicent actually advocating for the things that Otto wants and how much does she have her own agenda here? Yeah. And I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, of those decisions, Viserys decides to send aid to Damon. He apologizes for pushing marriage on Rhaenyra and tells her to find her own match. He also makes a vow that he will not replace her as heir. Uh, the, I, I like the, I guess, compromise he comes to here. It's not that he's going to stop pushing for marriage, right? Because he sees that as a vital, important, necessary thing for her to do as the heir. Um he's simply going to let her make his, her own decision about it. He's not going to push it. Yeah. And I think that's the right way, right? This is the, the, the thing that Allison told him, like you need to let Rhaenyra have a say in this decision. Yeah. No. And I I think he's taking the tact that I try to take with my teenage son, which is like, I don't, I very rarely say like, you absolutely cannot do this, although I'm not above it. But it's more of like, hey, if you, I just want you to know what this looks like. You know, like you can pull this shit with your dad and I'm going to love you forever because, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the whole deal. You try this shit with a roommate or a girlfriend or something <laughs> and they're going to send you packing, man. Yeah. Because, like, think about it from their perspective. Think how disrespectful. Think how rude and, and inconsiderate this is. Okay, dad. But, like, <laughs> him saying, like, you know, like, hey, look, I'm not immune from this. I had to marry your mom at 17 so we could get this army from the veil. Yes. Yeah, finding she's heard this common under- ground is great. Right. And, but it also turned out great for me. And unlike... Mm-hmm. My parents, I'm going to let you make this choice yourself. I'm going to like, you need to do it and you know, you need to do it, Yeah. but it's going to be your choice. Go out and find the man that makes you happy. And Viserys Um, realizing what a hypocrite he would be forcing her for forcing like a specific person on her. Right. And I I think there's like, she's like, I can't believe my dad is being this cool. And she's kind of uh-huh. tearing up and she turns to go. And then he says, like, look, I, I did waver at one time, but now on your mother's memory, I promise you won't be supplanted. Yeah. I think she does like that final thing that that won her over. She yeah. thinks that she, this is something she can because like my dad is many things, but he's not going to invoke the memory of my mother and, and betray it. We'll see if she's yeah. right. But and that conversation they had last episode helped tremendously for us to understand that. Right. The yeah. Just how much they both loved the Emma. Um, and yeah, what a mm-hmm. betrayal it would be if he did go back on it now. So yeah. I, I think you're right. And yeah, you know, there are, there is multiple levels to this, um, this conflict here. It's 
that he made his own decision to marry Allison and that was wild. And now he's trying to force a specific person on her. But right. Cause she definitely threw it back in his face. It's like, Oh, uh-huh. like you did with Allison. He's like, and there's another good teenage parenting guidelines. Sometimes you got to let him win because what the fuck here. does it look like? If you, if you can't be like, you know, you, you did, you caught me being a hypocrite. And, but, but know, the other part enough. of that is he was doing his duty. Right. And he uses that. he, he applies a little bit of pressure there to say, yes, I married who I wanted and not who the realm would have me marry, but I was doing my duty. I, I still, I had to be married for the good of the realm. Yeah. And so do you, you know, it's, yeah. and that's, that's a much softer sell. And I it's think. good for you too. strengthen yourself, Absolutely. become yeah. multiply, gone, make it protect yourself. Just like yep. I'm trying, you know, this, this, yeah, 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 yeah. He's doing a good job of selling the statesmanship of it. Yeah. It's a fantastic scene all around. Uh, and then we go to the final scene, couple of scenes oh, here. Before we move on, I want to say yeah. that I, for one, hope that this is this shuts the door on Viserys sidelining Rhaenyra because it seems like in the last two episodes, she's always, she just like blossoms when he starts giving this like kingly advice mm-hmm. and guidance and mentoring to her and she gets you know, sullen and angry when he kind of pulls back and stops doing that and just starts treating her like, Oh, you should just have a bunch of kids. Rhaenyra should get a husband. Rhaenyra should do that. And I like, I, cause this, they've kind of had this resolution at the end of the last two episodes. And I hope this is firmly putting, like, I want to see her actually being on the King's council. Yeah. uh, Making suggestions, rubbing people the wrong way and him backing her. I want to uh-huh. see that because if they do, it's like, man, I'm going to start thinking they're on a treadmill if they don't. But I, I think they will. I think the show is telling us the Sirius is putting some real strength behind these words. And I think there's a real opportunity here for her to start getting in the gap between Otto and Viserys because yeah, Otto has been someone- shown. Oh, I mean, the Allison thing was fine, but he doesn't even know Otto wasn't really involved in that. The The suggestions that Otto has been coming up with, the advice he's been giving him has been universally bad for her to sort of wedge in there and become yeah. his most trusted confidant, I think is a big opportunity for her. Yeah, he Otto's dug in there like a tick. She needs to extract him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, boy, it's amazing how much I've turned on Otto in these last two episodes. He's just, I didn't man, think he was just bad like, in the first one, but whew. And I, it's like his brothers gave him bad advice. Like, I, I just think this is the wrong time to, yeah. you know, be this obvious and this insistent. And even when the king is in his cups and belligerent to keep on pushing. Yeah. Um, but he feels, you know, he's got that second son inadequacy and... Uh, you know, it's going to be ooh, it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with Damon now when Damon is triumphant. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and and he's kind of like maybe on the low key outs with the king. Yeah, it's going to be Oof. really interesting to see how 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 what happens when when Damon comes back victorious. Yeah, I'm curious at the greeting he gets. Like, will Viserys be especially a since bit the tempered? king? Yeah, because the king was already for kind of like forgiven. The fact that he beats him I think because like my understanding was Viserys always has a giant soft spot for Damon mm-hmm. and definitely gets mad at him when he steps out of line and causes him trouble but like wants Damon to be like he's always looking for Damon to grow up and turn the corner and yeah. be an asset rather you know bring more things to the table than he takes off so like I think I don't know we might have a, uh, an episode or two where the, the king and his brother are not at odds that might, that might be nice I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, 
Then you got yeah, Corliss in the equation. It's all sure. It's all and there's rough, a lot of there's, that's the that's what's so fascinating about this era is like the the shifting balances of personal favors and benefits and alliances is like constantly shifting. Yeah, um, it's exciting. Yeah. All right, let's go over to the Stepstones, where the situation looks bleak. Uh, there are commanders fomenting mutiny, potentially. Uh, and then the the worst of it comes when Damon gets a message of aid from his brother. He decides, you know what? I'm going to go deal with this crab eater before the aid arrives. He manages to draw sorry, crab eater. I call him crab eater, too. You know, it's the circle <laughs> of life, eater, man. You eat eater. a few crabs, yeah. you feed a few crabs. Life goes on. Uh, anyway, he manages to draw out the crab feeder and destroy his army with dragons, then following him into the caves and killing him. Oh, oh we just recapped the whole episode. Okay, I see. Uh, I mean, it's action. What do you want, right? Um, I thought, so this is interesting. Damon whipping the messenger, beating the messenger half to death. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting because it's another thing where um, they used the detail from earlier in this books to fill in, you know, like I said, the single paragraph that was essentially the outline for this episode. Uh, Damon, when he found out that Viserys remarried as a young king, whipped the shit out of the messenger in that situation when he got that message on Dragonstone, hmm. um, which we, uh, you know, we kind of jumped forward and we skipped that, but they wanted that volcanic temper, this idea that he is. And I thought Matt Smith played this awesome. He gets this and he like, just opens it and he's like considers it and he like oh delicately like with his pinky out rolls it back and hands it to the messenger mm-hmm. and it just makes a sudden outburst of violence that more shocking um, and i like the shot when he first comes to the stone takes off his helmet and sets it down because it does yes. a close up on the helmet yeah i was like why is that significant oh we found out also this messenger boy this sir adam might be Adam Valerian, which could be a guy to keep uh, to, 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 to keep an eye on. Um, I'm not sure if they're trying to allude to that guy or not. Is his name? They did identify him as a Sir Adam, uh, but we'll see. Adam, I mean, if he's a Valerian, he's related to the the several Valerians standing there. Yeah, that's what's what and they might let be because like Damon beat the I, shit out of him with. Well. <sighs> The thing is, is like, I wonder if this, because that was my, if this guy was like nobody, I don't know why they would step in to, 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 to check the king's brother from doing shit. Sure. You know? Sure. Like, that's dangerous. That'd be a dangerous okay. thing to do to lay hands. But like, I, it, that, that's kind of makes it sense if he is like a, uh, some, some type of, uh, affiliation with the house Valerian. They're like, hey, yo, you can't, you know, it's kind of the difference between just beating some, ra- if you're a made man, you can beat some random punk up on the corner. Sure. But you can't beat like the boss's nephew's favorite cousin. That'll yeah. get you some shit, right? So there's Not a lot of interesting Fredo, more stuff. Even though he deserves it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, even Mo Green can't get around and slapping him out, and not even in Vegas, not even at the, nope. the uh, far from the prying eyes of New York. Uh, they also mentioned Dwarfstone, the fortress that is their base of operations. That is invented for the show. Uh, huh. That doesn't okay. exist because, again, single paragraph uh, description of the war. Yeah, they also introduce this Vaymond Valerian guy um, who. In the books, uh, he so he has a bit of a role to play in Fire and Blood. Um, but as we saw, they kind of like really yada yada the whole war against the crab feeder. And in the books, he's he's Corliss's nephew, not his younger brother. Oh, so to Weird. me, this feels like Martin. A lot of times that? that's strange. Hmm? 
Martin allowed them to change that. That's so, so like, conservative that's lineage what, and stuff. That was one of my I, one of my questions because like a lot of times you know you can lean on like well the maesters have different sources who knows who's right who's wrong or there's only a sentence and we're going to elaborate but this sure. felt like a deliberate change and expansion of a role like the only reason you would make a guy brother instead of nephew is to make that relationship closer so you can do right. more interesting things with it huh. so, so he could um, be but you're right like if like if Martin is all Twitter pated about some minor Targaryen king's lineage, but you know the the, the Valerians, you just get the stunt on, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Uh, speaking of stunting on the Valerians, I love this master of complaints line. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From uh, I, so I, I thought the scene in, in in the background too of the ships kind of like getting attacked as you pan out and you pan out the single shot and you see them having the war council right in front of it. So like. I understand you hide from dragons in the mountains and in the hills and in the caves, mm-hmm. but how the fuck do you get access to siege equipment capable of sending those giant pots of Greek fire or whatever to burn down those ships? The dragons are circling overhead with fire support, right? Like, can you roll out a whole catapult or trebuchet and get it set up and fire in 60 seconds? Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's, I don't like much about this battle. Actually. I, yeah. I think, the only thing I really like is it thematically yes. uh, makes a lot of sense for Damon, but mm-hmm. man, the logistics of it make damn near zero sense to me. Yeah. But you know, that's the thing. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like people should hire military advisors, not just for like, Oh, you keep your finger straight to show good discipline and you cock your gun like this, but also yeah, just don't like blink when you shoot. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, can, can you come up and it's, it's, it's a minor thing. And it, it, it probably like the vast, the vast majority of these people are, that are watch this are going to see, Oh, the ship's on fire and Damon being a badass and it's cool. But like, man, it, I think it'd be five, 10% cooler if this stuff actually made sense. You know, yeah, I want it to hang like, together when you think about it for a second, for more than right, a second. Right. I mean, like the idea that like, um, you know, maybe they're in caves, but they got flaming arrows and it's like more of a nuisance. Like you like one out of every 10 ships coming through here might get set ablaze. But it looked like it was just like, yeah, three out of four ships are trying to go through right? this pass. are just going to get fucking torched, which also doesn't make sense from a piracy standpoint. Yeah. The you know, if you're actually extracting, but I guess you're a war at this point, not yeah, you're no yeah. longer just extracting. Anyway, and, and I, it's a bit I of a mean, mess. Damon and Corliss are getting out rationed by an army cowering in caves. They're talking about how we don't have enough food to keep up right. a siege. That's not how sieges work. It's the other side, <laughs> the ones who are being sieged that are yeah. supposed to run out of rations. You people are doing this all wrong. Yeah, and then like how everything they, like, about Corliss this is still is one of the wealthiest man, men in the Seven Kingdoms, so he can't afford to buy meals ready to eat. Like those sell the, swords apparently cost a, a kingdom. And also, worth of they gold. they mentioned that like the the, uh, the uh, there's like a reverse jetpacking where they're talking about like, well, the ships are at the drift mark, but they're weeks away. <laughs> Bull fucking shit. <laughs> Is it a week sail from the, you know, mouth of the Blackwater Bay to the Stepstones? Get yeah. the fuck out of here. Nah. No, the more yeah, I they, dwell they on this, the less I like it. Uh, right. and so this is, let's, let's, let's not think too hard about it and just, just glide over it. <laughs> the last thing I want to say about it before we do talk about some of the cooler stuff is this is the easy part to get right. To me, 
they're getting all the hard stuff right and getting yeah. this easy stuff wrong. You can logistically make a battle work. It's it's not a matter of like, oh, does this play to an audience exactly how we want it to? Is this facial expression going to line up with this line we wrote? That's the hard part. What they're doing no, is yeah. what they're fucking up is the easy part. And I don't yeah. know why. They, they're fucking up the part that you can fix with like uh, two or three sentences in the establishment of a scene in the script. Yes. Like, cause you're right. Like, it's a this action is masterfully done at no time that I have uh-huh. a question about where Damon was, where he came from, where he was in relation to his goal, where the guys were coming from, uh, where the archers were, the overall strategy and lay of the land and him moving across. It felt like a natural progression. You look like you're watching the storming of Normandy on. Uh, it's a one man storming of Normandy saving from Private uh, Ryan. from saving I mean, private Ryan. Yeah, that's like exactly you, you're like they're, 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 he's moving up the beach towards an objective. He gets to the end and he's you know, he's he's, he's surrounded. They've successfully launched launched a trap here comes the valerians and the dragons it's just i wish the dude was wearing plate and a helmet and a shield and i wish that uh you know they made it clear that this was them wanting to like like they they had right there like we got to break the siege we could starve these guys out sure but my brother is going to send ships and take our credit sure we need to do it right the fuck now we need to push the issue that's all they had to do, and I wouldn't have these questions. I, I felt like they got to that place. I understood that that's why Damon made the choice he makes, yeah. but the thing I didn't understand was all the background uh, logistic details about this right. siege. Like, why can't they wait these people out on food? Why are they the ones starving? Why haven't the dragons destroyed their trebuchets? Why haven't... Yes. Like, all of that stuff did not make sense. It was the the smaller details Yes. And and the finer points of the episode, uh, the trickier parts that they're getting right. And they just botch this easier stuff in my mind. But anyway, but like I said, very technically competent. Certainly. It it really was like if they had. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good portents for battles to come, because I think this show is going to be much more battle heavy than your average Game of Thrones season. Sure. I love seeing uh, Corliss with this big ass battle axe chopping fools. That was awesome. I like it's almost like it's it's like a some kind of hybrid between like a uh, an axe or a short halberd or a glaive because uh-huh. it's got like a spear on top too. It was like at first I thought it's like, oh, is that a trident? Because goddamn, that would be sick. <laughs> right. That'd be sick if he's, he's just stabbing fools like the Aquaman or shit. The, yeah. But but yeah, I thought it was a good like re- it's like something that sets him apart from all the other knights of Westeros where they're all, mm-hmm. you know, he's like got a fancy boarding axe. Essentially, he's going into action. I thought that was cool. The Valerian's armor looks tip top really amazing uh i thought damon looked good killing men like he i by my count he killed somewhere between 16 and 20 not counting the dragons and other stuff uh he did you know it's not like this he he this this was like um he was invincible he ended up taking several arrows mm-hmm. that that slowed him down i i do wish we'd gotten i wish we'd gotten a crab crab feeder duel i wish they'd done yeah. one last wave of dudes and spent 30 but on the other hand like when i was watching this you know i had on a background while i was compiling my notes and stuff and i start looking at his crap this guy doesn't seem like a guy who could stand up against damon yeah he's kind of like gimped up because of the the the, the late stage stone uh dragon scale he's got which we know rab robs people of their sanity and their mobility like mm-hmm i felt it it would have probably been <laughs> damon just bullying the shit out of this guy yeah, I would think so. Uh, it seems like there was a vicious fight, though, because he comes out drenched head to toe in blood 
and he's no worse for wear. So it must be the yeah. crab feeder's blood. And that makes me worry because grayscale <laughs> is a pretty infectious disease. Um, he's touching yeah. the crab feeder skin to skin, I think. Eh, maybe he has this is on. This is all mildly interesting, especially since, you know, uh, I, yeah, I... I, I I find it hard to believe they're going to have Damon struggle with grayscale, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe that, but, but if, if not, it does seem like it's an unforced logistical error because you didn't have to make the guy suffer from this highly contagious, uncurable disease and right. then have the guy bathe in his blood. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like I, the fact that there's people in my email on Twitter and on Reddit, Oh my God, does anyone else think Damon's got, you know, grayscale or like, oh, mm-hmm. aren't the Targaryens immune from disease? And well, no, if you look here, this Targaryen princess died of dragons. It's it's kind of a mess and it didn't <laughs> like Allison says, it needs not be this way, Condal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it needs not be this way. Yeah. So, but, you anyway. know, it's a it's and a, I know like, we probably got a lot of fans pissed that we're like spending this much time giving the show. But like, honestly, we've lavished so much praise on this. Uh, yeah. The we fans that are bothered by stuff. <laughs> Yeah, the fans, and you got to understand, the people that just, like, have no problem, like, there's people that did have serious logistical problems, and we'd look like clowns if we didn't talk about it, you know? That's how and you get, that's how you problems, lose people's right? respect. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to bring it up when I have problems with the show. We spent right. an hour 20 talking about how great the rest of this episode was. I don't feel like 10 minutes spent talking about some of its failures is is not worthwhile or is I'm too just much. dealing with the credit, like, the pre, I'm trying to deal with the pre-criticism so I don't on Thursday. Gotcha. All right, uh, that's the end of the episode, unless you have anything else to say about that scene. Um, I don't think so. Like, people wanted the... That's the number one question of the instant take, is who is the dragon rider? Who is this dragon? Well, the dragon rider is Lainor. Yeah. uh, The one that they're talking about marrying off to Rhaenyra. I'm a little surprised that you are resistant to this match, because, like, we don't know what Rhaenyra will think, but there's a lot of like, this guy seems like he's the kind of dashing dragon riding, uh, dude that might turn the head of Rhaenyra. That's like, oh, she's she, off as resistant. I, I felt like I Lord Strong did. was I giving you're... good advice. Um, no good advice from, but like from what you, I thought you were skeptical oh. that Rhaenyra would be interested in him. I, I don't know. There's something about this woohoo. Like Rhaenyra is an mm. experienced dragon rider. This guy seems like he, this is his first time on a dragon. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's his first time because they mentioned that they have dragons in the strategy session. So it's the first time we're seeing it. It's probably his first and time I think in he an was, actual battle. Oh, yeah. Th- I think this guy yeah. is supposed to be a year or two younger than Rhaenyra uh-huh. and also like more novice of a dragon rider because there's also Sea Smoke is, uh, I think, hatched with him. Oh, OK. Or if not, was one of the youngest dragons that he claimed when he was a boy. Um, so this is his dragon sea smoke, which, um, I, you know, I could tell you a lot more about all these dragons, but it'd be a big spoiler, but he's this pale silver gray dragon that at the time of fire and blood is described as fighting size, but still young. So there it's going to be like your classic fighting game. He's going to be trading raw power for speed and mobility. Mm. And I think they were trying to get at that with the whole yippee, try spinning that's a good trick of the whole dragon riding Uh experience that like yeah why why don't you wear a helmet when you're riding a dragon that's why i want to know i wonder if they'll go into some of the interesting lore of dragon riding because there's like all kind of interesting things about how they saddle them up and how they secure the riders to the saddles Hmm. and i wonder if they'll go into to the the finer points of of dragon riding 
Yeah, but, I, I uh, don't know. I'm not necessarily opposed to Lane or I need to know more about him because currently I don't know much other than he's I don't like his Ronald son. McDonald hair. I don't like his silver <laughs> sure. Ronald McDonald hair. Okay. Um, although that does solidify his his relationship with Lord McCheese. Yeah. Uh, and the important Sesame uh, Kingdom. You know, you got to you got to have them and their fry guys. Those, their swore bannermen. If you want to have any kind of standing in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I don't know. I like <laughs> I like I like the Valerians, but uh Lanar, I don't know. Uh he's a little, little came across a little goofy to me this episode. Gotcha. Uh but yeah, I think we're that's it. We're we're ready to stop talking about this. We're ready to start hearing what you guys have to say. Hot D at baldmove.com is how you send stuff to us for consideration for a feedback episode. It's going to be come out in a couple days. Uh, also be recording a segment with Maester Anthony, where I think I'm going to talk about more about these, the white heart and Arthurian legends. We'll see what the, the other side of that uh, combo comes up with. But we're going to be considering all kinds of feedback. Hot D at baldmove.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove. You want to check out all of our releases. If you want to make sure you get everything that has to do with wizards and dragons and spaceships and zombies and ninjas, all that kind of stuff, make sure you subscribe to Bald Move Pulp because that's where we publish all of our, you know, pulpy podcasts. Right now, we're also doing the Rings of Power. High degree of certainty that you will like the crossover. Uh, those first two episodes are pretty good. If you got Amazon Prime Video, I recommend checking it out. It's a pretty good time, especially if you're a fan of uh, the, the the Tolkien stuff that's already out. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening once again, and we'll see you in a couple days for feedback. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. <laughs>